Hi guys, and welcome to You Don't Want to Know, the podcast. I'm not gone. I'm not dead. I'm alive. Sorry for... Whoa, I almost dropped my laptop. Sorry for the huge delay, guys. I have been crazy busy. I have four jobs. Yeah. Um. So things are a little hectic in my life, but we are being held together. You know those pictures of like guy boxers, how they're like, you can see through them. That's kind of how I'm holding my life together. But darn it, I am holding it together and I'm doing great. Had all my tests last week, not that you guys care, but I did pretty good on them, if I do say so myself. So here I am rewarding myself with taking time to actually do an episode. So I've kind of been working on this here and there, and I'm going to be honest with you guys. It makes me really sad to say this, but I think it's going to be like once every month I'll post an episode. If I have extra time, maybe it'll be two or every other week like normal, but unfortunately, life's crazy. Life is really, really crazy going to school full time and working full time. So I'm going to do my best, but just know you are getting my best. And unfortunately, this is my best. So you're welcome. (laughs) So sorry. So, so sorry. That's all I have to say. Okay, guys, I have been wanting to talk about this movie for a while with my crazy life. I haven't really had the chance to like sit down and watch a movie I've missed so many movies, guys. The Mean Girl movie is out right now. Tina Fey, my love, Tina Fey, is in that movie. Oh my gosh. Spoiler, spoiler, spoiler. I'm so sorry. Well, no, she was in the commercials. You guys know she was in the commercials. So (laughs) I haven't even had time to see it. I haven't made any time for myself. I watched like an episode of TV a week. So I really haven't had time to watch a movie. I finally took the time to watch Saltburn. And I have some words. People are saying it was so good and it messed me up. It left me confused. I walked out uncomfortable. I didn't know what to say. I will tell you what to say. Get ready. Write it down if you need to. Um, Thumbs down. I'm sorry. Jacob, whatever your, your name is, you are gorgeous. And I mean, you leave me speechless if I'm being completely honest. But that's about all that left me speechless. That movie... I think what happened was they started making this movie. They sat down, they wrote it out. They wrote like the first part and they're like, we're going to make this an artsy movie. We're going to put a bunch of underlying details in there and we're going to like sprinkle them in here and there and they might pick up on them or they might not. And then at the end of the movie, it'll all come together if they really think about it, but they really have to think about it. So that was the first part of the movie. And then the second part of the movie, which also too long of a movie Stop making long movies, guys. It's okay here and there, but too long. Too long. Okay, back to what I was saying. The second half of the movie, they just threw all that out. And they're like, make it as obvious as we possibly can because I don't even know what's going on anymore. And that's how Saltburn came to be. I, maybe I'm dumb. And that's okay because not everyone can be smart. You know, I was watching a show and they're like, they're the kids who are above average. There has to be kids at below average. Hi, raising my hand. I am below average in a lot of things. I'm average at a good amount of things too. 
I don't think I'm above average in anything. Maybe, maybe being annoying, which I'm okay with, but that's okay. As I was saying, I don't care for artsy movies. I don't get them half the time. I get upset because I want to understand what's happening, but they make it too hard and I miss so many little details. Exhibit A or example A is, what is that movie called? Midsummer, or it's like pronounced differently. Just thought that movie was stupid. Like so, so stupid. I also made the mistake of bringing my mom, my aunt, and my cousins. That was a very uncomfortable movie to watch with them. I'm glad I watched Saltburn alone. And if I'm being completely honest, the grave scene, if you've seen it, you know what I'm talking about. I skipped through that because I was like, this is a more than two hour movie. I don't need to watch this. This is time. Like I'm already missing this out of my life. I'm not going to watch this. I skipped through it. Guys, that, that scene was like two minutes long and I skipped through it all. I didn't need to see it. Like I saw like 10 second clips of it because I was like, skip. Oh, it's not over. Skip. It's still not over. Skip. So I saw like frames of it and I didn't miss anything. Like I saw three seconds of it total or whatever, five seconds of it total. Got the picture. Understood what was happening. That's all I needed. Like, okay, you wanted to make me uncomfortable. Congratulations, you did. And I know I don't, if I had, if I knew, which I could figure it out, if I knew who made that movie, I would purposefully not watch another movie by you because it's like, what? So I'm sorry. I seem really mean right now. It's just, it's so annoying. I'm so sick of these artsy people because from my experiences, they always think that they're better than you because they're like, "Mm, you just don't get it. You just can't fathom what I'm trying to put out. And they think they're better than you. You know what? You are also not above average. I'm sorry. (laughs) Okay. I'm sorry. This all was very harsh, but I'm just tired of people saying like, it was such a good movie. It left me speechless. When in reality, I think that they just want to be like artsy and say they get it when there was nothing behind it. It just didn't make sense. I truly believe that they just shifted gears and made it obvious at the end because I understand everything that happened in that movie. There were bits, I guess I shouldn't say that. I understand the movie. I understand most of what happened. There may be some like underlying things that I missed, but overall I understood what happened and I was just pissed that I wasted that much time in my life. And to the people that recommended that movie to me, my close friends, you know who you are? Rude. That is all I have to say. Rude. I could have watched a different movie. But raise your hand if you're excited and haven't seen Mean Girls. I'm raising my hand. And then Argyle, that came out last weekend. Very excited about that. Another movie that comes out tomorrow, which hopefully I'll post this tonight, is Madam Web, which is Spider-Woman movie. I think technically. So very excited because you know your girly is a spider girly. Shout out to Toby Maguire and Andrew Garfield and a little bit of Tom Holland because like I like you as a person. I think you're cool, but my heart belongs to those men, those spider men. Okay. I'm sorry if that was horrible, but I, I honestly, I feel better getting that off my chest because I've been thinking about that for a while and I've like listened to other current podcasts talking about that movie and I'm like, no, just no. And a lot of them were like, I don't know if it was good or not. And I'm just screaming. No, it wasn't good, but it's okay. Everyone has their own opinions. I'm sure those people are nice. I won't boycott them, 
but I will boycott boycott that movie because I'm done, guys. I'm just done with it. I don't want to hear the word saltburn again. Okay. Now, for the true crime of it all, the true crime calendar, January 27th. This one is identified victim Beth Doe. In December 1976, some children were checking animal traps along Lehigh, I think it's pronounced, River in Pennsylvania, when they came upon several suitcases containing human remains. Oh my gosh. A woman between the ages of 15 and 25 had been murdered, disassembled, and distributed among the suitcases, which were then thrown off a nearby highway overpass. One of the suitcases contained a nearly full-term fetus among the woman's remains. Investigators chased several leads, but the case went cold and the victim remains unidentified for 45 years. Light at the tunnel, hopefully. In April 2021, investigators informed the family that Evelyn Colon, I think. Oh boy, I'm dropping my laptop again. I'm sorry, I'm leaving you guys on the edge. Um, Evelyn Colon family of Evelyn Colon, sorry, that the remains in the suitcase belonged to the Queens, New York native who was 15 years old at the time of her murder. In 2017, Colon's nephew had uploaded his DNA to an ancestry site and keeps his profile, kept his profile open in hopes that it would lead to her further information, lead to further information about his long lost aunt. Oh, this is so sad, which is exactly what happened. Shortly after Colon was Colon, uh, I feel like I'm saying it wrong, was identified Louis Syria, I think, or Sierra, had been with Colin's, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry, who had been Colin's live-in boyfriend at the time of her death was arrested for her murder. Oh, that was really sad. You're welcome. Wow. Okay. So, guys, I don't know how I feel about the whole DNA thing because, like, yeah, it's great. Don't get me wrong. It's really cool that we can do that. Like, a big one was Golden State Killer. But at the same time, my biology, microbiologist teacher said that they can also sell your information to, like, insurance companies. So, if you have, like, a heart defect in your family, which is something really good to know, they would sell that to, to the insurance company and, like, raise your insurance for that. So, I go back and forth. But if you feel compelled to do that and you think you're related to a murderer or someone has gone missing and you can help, don't let me stop you. I'm just, I'm a paranoid person, you know? It's just who I am. Thank you for listening to my rants. I appreciate you guys. And now, what we're really here for, because let's be honest, the first, what is it, 11 minutes of this podcast was mainly for me. The true crime of it all once again. The real true crime of it all. Let's get uncomfortable. So this one is about the murder of Susan and Sheila Knorr and the torture of her their siblings. Here we go. So Teresa. Teresa was one of two daughters of Jim and Swanee Gay Cross living in Sacramento, California. Swanee also had a daughter and a son from another marriage, so there was a total of four kids. I don't know if the other two kids were, like, coming in and out or if they stayed. Didn't get that information. 
They lived a good life. Jim was a cheesemaker because, you know, California, very big for dairy. And Swanee uh, worked on the machine that made pencils. Super cool. Very fun. Like, what a story. What a cute couple, you know? He makes cheese. She makes pencils. I don't know. I feel like there's a show that can come from that. Um, TM, contact me if you would like the rights. (laughs) Sorry, it's so stupid, but it's fine. Um, And then it gets sad. Unfortunately, Jim was diagnosed with Parkinson's, which is a horrible, horrible disease. And after he had an unsuccessful brain surgery, he could no longer work. So Swanee stepped up and she tried to be the sole provider of the household. But this took a huge toll on her. Like she was just beyond stressed because of everything, as well as her husband's sickness. And she had a heart attack and passed away. She had died in Teresa's arms on her 15th birthday. Absolutely horrible. I can't even imagine it. So Teresa Cross, she dropped out of high school at 16. So a little bit more than a year later. And that was because she was pregnant with her first child, Howard. Clifford Sanford, interesting name, was the father of the child. And he also dropped out and they got married. And like I said, had their first son, Howard. Teresa was a very controlling and paranoid woman who accused Clifford of cheating all the time. So this is a very toxic relationship. I understand that she had been through some things and sometimes, yeah, you have to be patient with someone, but there's a point where it gets to be too much and you just have to leave. And Clifford tried to stay. He uh, He would argue with her and try and plead his case. And actually one occasion, which this is not okay... She went to the police, claimed that he punched her in the face. So physical violence is never okay, guys. Never okay. Even if you're arguing, not okay. I guess if it's self-defense, it's a different story. So I guess like, I don't want to say it's like, okay, but like if you're defending yourself, like protect yourself. I feel like I'm talking very fast. I will slow down. So sorry. Where was I? Okay. So terrible story. Clifford uh, tried to leave Teresa at one point, and this was while she was pregnant with her next child, Sheila. But before he could make it out, literally to his car, she had shot him in the back and killed him. She went to court for this, and she pled not guilty in court due to self-defense. And guys, it frickin' worked. What? She shot him in the back. What self-defense is that? Is... I will say it would be very, very creepy if someone ran at me backwards. I will say that, but I'm going to assume that didn't happen here. So his sister, Linda, actually testified in court. She had believed with her whole heart that Teresa planned to kill him, but she still got off. It's wild times because I don't know what year this is. I think it's like the 60s, I want to say, but this was this was not current day. I should have figured out what day it was, what year it was, but it's not current day. So after this happened, this is kind of when Teresa started to drink. And eventually she shot, well, eventually she met a Marine named Robert Knorr. Robert had actually adopted Howard and Sheila and they had four more kids. I should say that they got married too. They got married. He adopted them. Um, they, he, they got their names changed. Uh, Teresa also changed her name. And then they had four more kids. So it's Howard, Sheila. Those are from the other man, Clifford. And Robert, which is I assume is a junior. William, Susan, and Terry. 
unfortunately, the cycle repeated and Teresa kept drinking, began to be controlling again, paranoid, and for the same reasons, Robert left. And I'm going to guess that Teresa didn't think that she could get away with that plea twice, so he was left alive. So great. Robert left her. He wanted to stay in touch with his kids, but Teresa said no, once again, because she wants to be controlling. So I'm guessing things were just really bad and Robert kind of left it that way. Once Robert's... Oh, just kidding. I skipped something. Things only got worse, unfortunately. Teresa would tell them regularly that she never wanted any of them and that she was using them as a pawn and that they just ruined her life, basically. Once Robert started a new family, got married, had more kids, that's when it got really, really bad. Like, that's bad, but it gets worse. Teresa's behavior kind of started to get really, really bad. Kind of crazy. And the kids, they just want to make their mom happy. They want to be what their mom wants, you know? Like, I get that. So they would listen and do whatever she wanted them to do. She would get annoyed with them. She would say that they were being rude or bratty and just send them to their room and be quiet. Like, go to your room, be quiet, sit on your bed, don't do anything. She started having these paranoid delusions and take her anger out out on these kids, these poor, poor kids. She would just burst into their room and accuse them of laughing at her. And they would say, we weren't laughing. We were being quiet like you told us. We didn't make any noises. They would just deny everything because that's just the truth. That's what kids do, you know? And of course, it just made things worse. She would punish them with this wooden paddle. She called it the Board of Education. And it was just this piece of plywood with like a handle on it that she found from a construction site. She would make the other kids hold them down while she would beat the other ones. And if somehow they lost their grip or they let go, she would turn the abuse onto them. And once the child had started crying helplessly for her to stop, that's when she would actually stop. She would also burn them with cigarettes because, of course, she freaking would. It's so sad because these kids thought that this is just life. This is how every household is. This is what families do. And obviously that's not true, but they were just so sheltered, I guess is not really a good word, but like closed off from the outside world on purpose. So they couldn't see what was really supposed to happen in these households. And so they couldn't tell other people what was going on. They weren't allowed to go to friends' houses. So they just, they didn't know how other people lived. One night she made them all get up in the middle of the night and sit in the living room. And she said that they were like demon possessed and this was the only way to get rid of the demons. She made them sit on their knees and just be there the rest of the night. And she would walk back and forth. And if someone like started to fall asleep, she would hit them. So they had to sit still for the rest of the night. And then once the sun came out, she said the demons were out and they could go. And I guess some sources say she would like smile and smirk and she called it a game. But other sources said that she truly believed that's what was happening. At one point, she locked her youngest in a freezer chest, her youngest Terry, because she had told someone that her mother wasn't taking care of her kids. 
and it got back to Teresa and she locked her in that freezer chest. So because she's a single mom, she had to find different ways to make money and she forced her two daughters, her two older daughters, Susan and Sheila, into prostitution. She also thought that Susan was a witch and was casting spells on her to make her gain weight. So for retaliation, she force fed Susan so much to the point that she would throw up, but she would also make her eat that throw up. It's very sad because she's just losing her mind. And it doesn't help the situation, but she would bar hop, which kind of would give these kids some sort of break from her. So I'm sure that they weren't super upset about it, but she would leave the kids and just go drink. One night she came home from her drinking bout. Um, She was talking about how this guy had showed her how to throw knives and she wanted to show her kids. So she made them stand up against the wall one by one and she would literally throw the knives. Eventually, of course, because she's not a professional knife thrower, she hit Sheila, one of her kids. And it didn't stick in there. It just kind of like hit her and bounced out. Thank God. I can't even imagine what that would be like. Sheila just dropped to the ground and started freaking out. Very, very reasonable response. Teresa was just upset. She said that she moved and it's her fault. She did bandage it up. She, I will say that she like butterfly bandaged it, but she was upset because she thought that it was Sheila's fault. I don't know if I said Sheila in the wrong sense. So Teresa was throwing the knives at Sheila and Teresa bandaged it, but she was upset with Sheila because she said that she moved. Hopefully that makes sense. So at some point during this whole period, Howard leaves and he is no longer a part of the family. He is out of their lives. Um, Just kind of run for it. Basically, we don't ever hear from Howard again. Susan saw this. And at some point, I don't think it was close to this time, but at some point she just couldn't take it anymore. Some sources say that she got caught prostituting and arrested, and that's when she told the police her story. Other sources say that she said that she was going to help William with his paper route, but instead she went to the public to get help. She, like I said, reported the abuse of her mother, and people came to the house child protective services came to the house to interview the kids but the mom i don't even like saying that Teresa, was in the corner the whole time glaring at them so every single question that the kids were asked they would look at their mom and she would like mouth or shake her head yes or no to give them the answer basically and i feel like i've heard that that line so many times They were coming to report abuse, but the mom was in the room the whole time, so they never said anything. So CPS concluded that Susan was lying, and they just kind of went on their merry way. And as soon as they left, everything turned to Susan, because not only did this happen, but there was already some resentment towards Susan because of the alleged witch thoughts. Like, she thought she was a witch. So Susan just had the worst things happen to her she greatly greatly suffered for this she was put under the dining room table with socks on her hands and then handcuffs on the socks were to protect her from any marks she was also gagged under the table she stayed there 
for basically the rest of her life, unfortunately. Teresa would force feed her, and like I said before, when she was full and threw up, Teresa would make her eat that. She was still doing that. Teresa slowly took all the kids out of school. Obviously, Susan came out right away, but she would say that the kids were moving, so they had to change schools. That was her excuse, but they never actually moved. They stayed in the same spot, and she just took them out. She forced the kids to work for money, like the paper out, but that wasn't cutting it anymore, so they had to get real jobs, and she would check in on them to make sure that they were doing exactly what they were supposed to be doing. They weren't making any detours. They weren't talking to anyone. They were walking to their job, getting it done, and walking right back. She would, to do this, she would actually drive the car past them multiple times to make sure that they were on route. They weren't making any detours. Why wouldn't you just drive them? Like, this lady doesn't make any sense. She would drive past them to check on them instead of just driving them to their job. I think it was just like another form of control. It was just, it didn't make any sense. While this was happening, Susan is still just under the table. She started getting sores from being in the same position because she's just handcuffed. So Teresa didn't want those left on her and incriminate her in case, like, let's say CPS came back. So she would let her come out from the table from time to time, but she would always put her back under the table at the end of the day. One day, Teresa cracks, though, and she starts just flipping out at the kids, yelling. And of course, especially at Susan, because Susan's her favorite punching bag. There are two sources. One says that she gave a gun to the youngest child, Terry, and told Terry to point the gun at Susan and to shoot her if she moves or something along those lines. And then, um, for some reason, she goes into the kitchen to get food or into the, I don't know, into another room to get food. And she has William come with and they're holding, he's holding a bunch of bowls and he drops one and that causes Terry to jump and shoot because Terry's young. Terry is young. She's probably like 10 or younger. The other story is that Susan was had the gun, was flying off the deep end, and shot Susan herself. I don't know what's true, but those are the two stories. Who knows? So the biggest concern, Teresa's biggest concern, was the carpet. She told the kids to get a bunch of towels, clean up the mess, and then put um, Susan in the bathtub. So she put on a bunch of band-aids on her and then called it good. Because the carpet was clean and Susan was all patched up. What a woman. Gosh, this is just such a horrible story. I'm so sorry, guys. But it's important to be told. Susan stayed in that bathtub until she regained consciousness. So it was more than a month. And unfortunately, once she did regain consciousness, she was put right back under that table. After this event, Susan was basically at her breaking point, which... She is a very strong person because Lord knows I would have broken a long time ago. So she just starts begging and begging and begging, saying, like, if you let me go, I won't tell anyone. I'll just disappear. Just please let me go. Anything. I will do anything. And this continued for months. She didn't give up. She just kept begging because what else are you going to do? You know, like you're just under there. I can't like think about that for a second being handcuffed under the table, your siblings are living their normal lives around you and you're just down there crying. Like, 
Oh my gosh, it's just such a horrible story. So finally, Teresa gave in and said, okay, but I have to take the bullet out because that's evidence. And Susan was like, okay, do what you have to do. Get it out of me and so I can go. So Teresa had Robert and Terry help with this horrible, horrible process. I don't want to call it an operation because it's not. Um, William was at his job. He was working at the movie theater and he comes home to see Terry and Robert just shocked, absolutely shocked, blood all over them. So what happened was Susan was put under, quote unquote, under with a combo of like drugs and alcohol. And I don't know if she fell asleep right away or if she passed out from the pain, but a exacto knife was used to cut her open and get the bullet out. And as soon as that happened, Teresa flushed it down the toilet and patched her up and she was left, Teresa, or excuse me, Susan was left on the floor to recover from that just gruesome, barbaric situation. Susan eventually woke up, but she was absolutely delusional, not making any sense because opening up a body is not something you're supposed to do. Like, we're really not supposed to do that. There is so many things that they have to do in order to be able to do this crazy thing that our modern technology allows us to do. So, of course, she has infections and organ failure from being open without being sterile. So, she eventually falls into a coma and is just left on the floor. Just left on the floor. She started to lose control of her bladder, so Teresa put a diaper on her, and Susan started turning yellow from kidney failure. Teresa said this was because of the demon possession, and it just kind of solidified her delusions. She used this as an excuse to say, see, I'm doing the right thing. She's turning yellow because of her demon possession. I'm, do- I'm not wrong. So after months of this, Teresa made her sons grab all of her things, including the diapers, and put it in the back of her trunk where they found Susan's body. So she forced her two sons to get in the car and they drove for a while until they found an open spot where Teresa made her sons at gunpoint take everything out, including their sister Susan, and they were forced to pour gasoline all over the items and Susan was like, I said on everything. So her brothers were forced to put gasoline on the body of their sister. And then she made William. I think I said Robert before. William's the one that works at the um, movie theater. Excuse me. But she made William light the match to start the fire. And the reason she did that was because she said that she had to get the demons out of her. Or so she says. Who knows? So Susan Knorr was born, or excuse me, was burned alive at the age of 17 in 1984. It's just so sad. And William and Robert did not know she was alive. Because how could they? They were just young boys. So the brothers were obviously completely traumatized by this event But at the same time, and this sounds bad, but I understand it, they were relieved because she wouldn't have to be in that situation anymore. She was at rest, or so they believed. She wouldn't have any more pain. 
she wouldn't have to be under the table. With Susan gone, though, she, Teresa, started directing her attention at the next daughter, which was Sheila. While this was going on, though, William had stood up to her and decided that he needed to go and he didn't want to be with his mom anymore. Sheila was being hit and abused by Teresa and William stood up to her saying that you needed to stop and if you were going to kill her to just do it and to stop torturing her. He thought this was an abrupt statement and it would kind of open Teresa's eyes and maybe she maybe she would stop and he left. He just left. He was at the age of 15. Even with him gone though and making that statement, she did not stop. She shoved a spoon so hard into her mouth at one point that she chipped her front teeth. So Teresa chipped Sheila's front teeth. She accused Sheila of getting a disease, some kind of disease, and passing it along to her from the toilet, when in reality, she was still bar hopping and meeting men and not being careful. So she had to punish her. She was... Uh, she did the exact same thing she did to Susan. She handcuffed her under the table and she was not allowed to take a bath or use the bathroom. She was beating Sheila and trying to get her to confess to giving her this disease, but she never confessed. She was a strong woman and she said she she knew she didn't do this. She's been in the house this whole time. Well, I guess she was being she was being prostituted as well, but she knew she didn't do that. And she's also not stupid and realizes that her mom is just delusional thinking that her suit, her daughter gave her this disease. So she never confesses and Teresa decides to go to more intense measures. So she decides to hog tie Sheila and throw her in the closet. And this, oh my gosh, guys, this is just a horrific case. Sheila was in there for three weeks with no food and no water. Terry, the youngest, had tried to give her water, but every time she was in the process of doing it, her mom would stop her right away. Sheila would cry and she would scream, but Teresa would just turn the TV up louder so she couldn't hear her. Sheila started to get delusional because without food and water, that's what happens, and she started talking about climbing up to light. Terry says that the last thing that she heard was a loud thump in the closet and then eventually came a horrible spell. So, Teresa, being the woman she is, makes Robert go get William because she needs him. Whatever. So, Robert goes to the friend's house, gets William, says, Mom needs you. So, for some reason, William comes and Teresa says that this is your fault, William. You have to fix this. And she made Robert and William bury the body of their other sister. So William, being brainwashed and just like not knowing what it's like to be a normal person, was like, okay, this is what I have to do. So he brought a box from his job. It was like a cup box. And they put her in the box, wrapped her in linens, and um, duct taped the box shut. While they were doing that, Terry was forced to clean the closet. When they went to out to look for a spot to put the body, they found one and they uh, Robert and Williams went to go dig and all of a sudden this cop pulls up 
and goes to the window of the car where Teresa is and knocks on the window and's like, hey, what are you doing here? This is weird. And she says, oh, I just, I'm so tired. So I pulled over to go to sleep and the cop's like, all right, well, you might want to move this car because I think there's a dead deer by. So you might want to go to a different spot. But unfortunately, that was not the case. That was not a deer. It was her daughter, her flesh and blood in her back seat, decomposing because she had killed her. It's just so sad. So she had them get back in the car and move to a different spot because she had been seen there. She didn't want this to be associated with her. They moved to Martis Creek Lake. They found the different spot and they, um, she, Teresa just put her out there because they, she just wanted to make it quick. They didn't want to burn her. They just put her in a secret spot and left. So after this, William was done. He was like, this is not okay. I can't do this anymore. I'm done. Goodbye. So he leaves. William lived a quiet life and he was always looking his shoulder, worried that he might run into his mom. But after 10 years, that quiet life stopped. Two cops came to his work and arrested him for murder on November of 1993. Robert was also charged with this, the same charges, but he was already in jail, so he wasn't very hard to find. He was in jail because he was trying to rob this bar, and in the process, he had, had shot and killed the bartender. Terry had been mixed up with the wrong things as well. She was arrested a few times, and while being arrested multiple times, she had told her situation what happened while she was growing up. And multiple times, people ignored it. Even a psychologist ignored it and said that she was making it up and they didn't believe her. Until the last time she was arrested at the Placer County Sheriff's Department, they were the first people to believe her. And one specific reason why they believed her is because that case, what she described, sound very similar to a Jane Doe that had recently been found. Or I don't know if it was recent, but it was a case that they had. So that was when they arrested, or excuse me, the arrest warrants were put out for Teresa, William, and Robert. So that's kind of going backwards to what I was saying. Teresa was much harder to find, though, because she had moved to Utah and went back to her maiden name. She was a caregiver for an elderly woman, which I don't understand how she was, but she had borrowed $4,600 at that point from the woman's son and said that she was getting ready to leave town and she had her bags packed, ready to go, right as police were coming to get her. So they caught her just in time. Go police. So all three of them were being arrested for the murder of their sisters. And William and Robert um, pled guilty in exchange for their testimonies. Oh, no, no, I can't. Sorry, that's Siri. Um, William had gotten five years probation with therapy and Robert was already in jail. So he got three years added to his sentence to not be served concurrently. I think that's how you say that. I don't really remember. But it just means that it's added time. It's not being just in a sentence. So like... He's getting three years, but he's already in there for 15. So it's just like 
the same as 15. So I don't know how long he was in jail. I'm sure you guys know what this is. And I'm just over explaining for no reason. So originally, Teresa had pled not guilty until she found out that her sons gave their stories. And then she switched her sentence or her plea to guilty. So she wouldn't have to face capital punishment. She was convicted with two 25 to life year sentences for the lives of her daughter. Unfortunately, the siblings no longer speak and no longer speak of this, pretty much. Uh, Terry does a little bit and she tries to spread awareness, which is awesome. I can't imagine coming out of that situation. William is trying to recover as well. He has a wife and a daughter and he has a really hard time making connections with people because who wouldn't in this situation? He says he doesn't have many friends, but he still tries for his daughter, which is a very, very, very sweet thing. But that is their story, the sad, sad story of losing their sisters and trying to regain some normalcy in their life. I hope you guys are well informed with my telling of this situation. It was very sad to hear about, but I think it's also very important. And obviously, Teresa had some mental issues that she never got help with. But that situation was avoidable. So mental health is a very important thing. Guys, I wish I was more versed and with knowledge on this stuff. But if you feel like you need help, get help. Don't be ashamed of it because like I need help and I get help all the time. So don't be afraid to ask for help, basically is what I'm saying. And don't be afraid to help others if you think that something is happening in regards to abuse. Um, that's my soapbox. I will step down now. Thank you guys so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the pod. Um, if you have suggestions, go to, oh, whoops, my computer is running low. We'll make this quick. Go to ydwkpodcast at gmail.com. If you want to see pics, that's ydwkpodcast on Instagram, or you don't want to know on Facebook. Thanks for so much. Oh, thanks for so much. Thanks so much for listening. God bless. Bye-bye. Hi, I'm Nate. And I'm Andrew. And we are the hosts of Two Beards Please podcast. I asked him if he'd ever done this before. He said that he had. So you're asking these questions while you're on the operating table? Just before we start, right. So you didn't think to ask these questions nah. like in a consultation visit? I really or didn't something care. I just wanted lines? to roll along the hot knife cauterization <laughs> as long as I could. I also had some adults come to my door, not with kids. Did you give them candy? I did. What's wrong with you? What's they deserve apples. <laughs> <laughs> it's my favorite comedy movie that I could think of in four hours when some idiot says, what's your favorite four comedy movies of all time? <laughs> okay. This beardy is based on a limited amount of time, and I only had two beers. <laughs> <laughs> laugh with us or laugh at us. Either way, you're laughing, and we're responsible. Find all of the links to our social media as well as major listening platforms on our website, twobeardsplease.com.